Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. people um you got me tonight mike is gone yeah i know i know he is he is a big part of the show yeah we appreciate that uh he's not going to be here tonight he is in san diego he has a, a great opportunity to travel to san diego with his radio show and so he's down there if you don't listen to him on his radio show, do so. Jetstream, you can find it on the internet. Jetstream, it's a, a they play music. They got DJs all throughout the day and everything, and they play music. They're around the world. It's an internet show. He's got a good following. He's usually live on Saturday mornings from nine to or from seven to nine. I'm sorry, seven to nine. I don't think he'll be on this week, but Jetstream is coming to you live from San Diego this weekend. They're down there for a convention. Or I'm not sure what the whole thing. I think it's a convention and stuff. But they'll be broadcasting live from their booth. So you can tune into them this weekend. I don't know when Mike's going to be on or what, what hours or what he's going to be doing down there. But I'm sure he will be broadcasting some himself. So check it out. Jetstream Radio. And they play all sorts of music and normally take requests and stuff. I don't know about this weekend. But he's not with us, and so you have me uh, by my lonesome. i got things to tell you, as always, and stuff to talk about, as always, and trying to keep you informed. We've been getting ourselves a lot of requests over the last two or three days for guests. I got Wonderful, wonderful. I'm glad that people are out there and they want to be on the program. We've got, um, a, I don't know, I, the, the dates yet. I think next week we have someone that's uh, looking at scheduling. And then we will be doing stuff in October, possibly November. Hopefully in October, too, I'm going to try to get a hold of a couple of haunted wineries and do a haunted winery show. Maybe I can get a hold of Joy Neighbors and get her to join us. Joy has been a guest on the show in the past, and she's always fun and informative and she also always has stories she is the author of a book called uh i have no idea oh my gosh i got a blank sorry joy uh a grave no a grave interest is what she is her podcast for uh, for graveyards uh let's see what do we got now i don't think we have it here mike then uh hmm. so uh, she has uh, followed vineyards, and she has uh, also done graveyards and a lot of stuff on graveyards and things. So I'm going to see if I can't get a hold of her and have her join us in a show at the end of October, toward the closer to Halloween, and see if I can't get a hold of any other haunted wineries or businesses before then if i can get a hold of them and get them on the show we will do some haunted shows in october uh haunted wineries there are a bunch of them around the country by the way if you know of any let us know uh it's always fun if you have a local one that when they talk about themselves they always say and we are haunted and all that you know get a hold of us we'd love to get them on the show and uh have them 
tell us all about what's going on there. You can always email us at allaboutwinebtr. Uh, whoop, wait a minute. No, that's our, our uh, website, allaboutwinebtr.com. Uh, our uh, uh, email address is allaboutwine101 at gmail.com. Allaboutwine101 at gmail.com. And that will... Uh, I check the Gmail all the time, uh, the site. So get a hold of us if you know of anybody who wants to be on the show and uh, our haunted winery or anything. By all means, contact us. We're getting some uh, guests lined up again here now, which is always fun. I enjoy the guests. I'm sure you do. I hope you do. Uh, so we've got that coming up for us here. Guests and in the haunted October uh, hopefully we'll have a couple of wineries during that time. Okay, is that all? No, I've uh, got something else here. Let's see, where are we? No, not there. Uh, announcement for wineries. I always like to do winery announcements. Tassel Ridge. Tassel Ridge, our friends in Iowa are... Uh, having their fall events and fall things coming up here. Cherry chocolate and pizza. Uh, cherry pizza with white and semi-sweet chocolate drizzle. Well, I don't know if that sounds good or not. Cherry pizza with chocolate drizzle. There is a fruit in this cherry pizza, but the dominant wine pairing component is the sweetness. They say Tassel Ridge's Oski Fazante, pink, because it balances with the sweetness in the recipe and it complements the flavors in the pizza topping. So, <laughs> I don't know. Cherries with chocolate, white chocolate drizzled on top. Uh, they have that available now, plus all the regular stuff that they have at the winery. They... Uh, uh, the wine of the week is the Aussie Fente Pink, and in the vineyards, things have been finished. Harvest is finished as of last week, and they're ready to go into the uh, fermentation, punch downs, and red wines with the open top and the whole thing. They're working on all that. They are open, uh, but masks are required. Wine tastings, wine by the glass, and food service still not available at Tassel Ridge, but everything's available to go. And they got a lot of stuff at the winery, too, that you can purchase. Uh, the uh, uh, jellies and dipping oil, sauces and cheeses and all that for off-premise consumption. So you've got a lot of things going on. They are located, as I have said before, at 1681 220th Street in Layton, Iowa, southeast of Des Moines and just a little bit southeast of Pella. Uh, so they, uh, uh, Pella windows, if you've ever heard of those, that's where they're made here in Pella, Iowa. So Tassel Ridge Winery, you can get a hold of them at tasselridge.com. All right, wait a minute. Yeah, tasselridge.com, because sometimes they change their email addresses like I do, adding BTR onto it. So get a hold of them they got things happening or if you're in the area stop by and visit them and i think that's the only winery that has contacted me wow uh let me see is there one there no is there one there no oh so i guess that is the only wineries that have contacted me so we'll have to just stay with that that one announcement for the winery tonight. Jump right into what's happening out there now, why don't we? Sparkling wine trends for 2021. This is out of Beverage Dynamics magazine. Uh, a lot of information on Beverage Dynamics magazine. I still get it from the time I subscribed at the winery. 
It says sparkling wine for every occasion. Sparkling wine is becoming uh, a very popular drink now. This it says it's jumped up during the and it is a go-to drink a lot of times for people. Um, the price per bottles are ranging anywhere from twenty to seventy dollars on average out there, and that's what's happening with it. Uh, the uh, sparkling wine industry is excited because they are doing so much now, shipping and uh, selling it a lot. The segment grew by almost 2% during the pandemic, which is really pretty good. They've grown by over 55% over the past 10 years. So that in itself is something that has really uh, been good for them. Uh, they... Uh, uh, obviously, there's all sorts of different sparkling wines that are available here in the United States and in uh, uh, different places around the world. You can you can find it just about every every country makes it. So uh, it, it's out there, but it is it's jumping up. Uh, the prices, like I say, you can get proseccos for as little as nine dollars a bottle, and uh, Dom Perignon up to $210, $220 a bottle. Uh, so if you're looking for domestic uh, ones, then the domestic ones are going to range in price probably anywhere from you know 15 to 35 or 40 But it is uh, uh, a big market now, big market in sparkling wines and they're being used for spritzers and all sorts of stuff, uh, any type of bubbly. So the beverage dynamics is saying that it is going to increase in sales. It is not going to slow down any. It's going to increase in sales, and they expect it to increase in sales quite a bit over the next uh, six to eight months uh, as uh, – the pandemic is loosened up, and they are able to get them shipped more and more from overseas. Uh, Cremets from the Bordeaux region, Sect, and, uh, and other fine wines from the United Kingdom are becoming available and really starting to make a hit. And So as far as sparkling wines go, it is a uh, big market and it is increasing as i have always said in the past and i will say it again drink sparklies drink bubblies they are not just a special occasion wine they can be drank any time and a nice way to to start or end a meal get yourself some sparkling wine and just enjoy it uh with with anything so well there you go. Have your have yourself some sparkling wine. Okay, let's see here. This is uh, where is he? Uh, well, what the heck? <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the Climate change uh, affecting wine flavors, especially in county uh, uh, area. County Classico is saying that the climate change, the heat, is affecting their uh, flavors uh, because of when they harvest them, the heat is just too much and is causing the wines to wither a little bit faster and turn into starting raisin on them which is turning the wine into a syrupy, unpleasant blend. They're having to pick it sooner and look at it more. Uh, they're doing harvest analysis of the Burgundy region back to 1354 in France to see how much the grapes are changed and the air temperature and all that. And they said that now it's harvesting over in Europe and everywhere uh, up to two weeks earlier. Uh, than it was back in, uh, well, medieval times, if you will. And the climate is the reason for it. And it's also causing the grapes to uh, taste different. Uh, it's uh, They're having to work, the winemakers are having to work more on what they're doing because of the fact that they are 
having to adjust for the differences in the climate change and the early harvest and uh, uh, how the grapes are starting to, the flavor profiles are starting to do it. And then it's giving them fits. Uh, they say as of now, they're being able to keep the status quo for the flavors and all that that they want. But they're really concerned about future climate change and effects on the grape. Uh, one of our favorite subjects, it seems like, we are always talking about climate change. I mean, it seems to be one of the things that is just constantly one of the uh, uh, big topics for us here whenever we talk about wine and uh, uh, how the climate change is affecting it. Okay, is this... Uh, I wanted to hear... No, not yet. Okay. Uh, let's get rid of that. Let's go down here and... Pull up this. Here we go. Uh, wildfires. Oh my gosh, we have to talk about that again because it is a major issue. California's wine industry is predicted to collapse unless there is not some federal aid for the wildfires. That's a pretty drastic thing to say, but it is really pretty true. It's just unbelievable how much the wildfires are affecting it there. Uh, the, uh, this week they got news that some help could be on the way after the U.S. House of Representatives passed a disaster relief package that would allocate $10 billion to compensate farmers who have lost crops due to natural disasters. Okay, and this bill's text explicitly points to smoke-tainted wine grapes as an example of such crop loss. So it's something that they're looking for, looking to get passed. Now, this is just the House has passed. It has not passed the Senate yet, and we don't know what's going to happen there. I think it's tied into the $3.5 trillion relief package, and it doesn't look good, to be honest with you, as of right now. Uh, it's unclear what the chances are in the Senate, but it uh, doesn't look good because it's tied to the increase in the federal debt limit and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, politics, we, we're not, we never talk about it much here, and we're still not going to talk about it much here because it's politics. Uh, what is clear, though, is that the severity of the smoke taint issue has actually reached the point where it is being talked about in Washington, D.C., and that's a good thing because they are now understanding that it's going to affect wines and stuff. And this isn't uh, an issue where the Napa Cabernets are going to start having notes of grilled ribeye. It's going to be affecting a lot of stuff, not just that. Uh, this, it's about the survival of the wine industry. And in California, the wine industry is a $40 billion statewide industry which employs over 325,000 people in California. This is the Wine Institute. Uh, it came out with these numbers, which includes about 6,000 farmers. So a lot of uh, people within the uh, California is, is affected by the wine industry. And so it could be a nice boost if they can get a little bit of help on this uh, smoke damage. Uh, one of the farmers, you know, I said 6,000 farmers, one of them is named Chuck Mansfield, and he has uh, over 200 acres of wine grapes and 60 acres of other fruit trees in El Dorado County. And he makes wine grapes for some big-name wineries, uh, some distinguished wineries in there. They're, they're small. Uh, Arnett Roberts, Edmund St. John, uh, Keplinger, and Donkey and Goat uh, are just some of them that he does fruit for, for these wineries. But the fires have been getting so close to the vineyard, he said that uh, for almost six weeks, he was watching the Calder farm, was seeing the the red skies and sometimes the flames from that, and that's how close it was to the vineyard. And he doesn't know if any of his grapes are going to be salvage, salvageable because of smoke taint. So 
that is uh, an issue. And it's not just him, though. The, the repercussions from it. Uh, Donkey and Goat Winery, I mentioned that, typically makes 12 different wines from those vineyards in El Dorado County. And now with the vineyards compromise, it could cause the winery to be down by at least 2,000 cases this year. That's a lot. That's uh, that's the, the difference between keeping the winery open or closing the winery because you don't have enough money to operate. The... Uh, also, that's, you know, 2020 vintage that they have problems on, which is down 35% due to wildfire smoke in Mendocino County. So, you know, they're hurting on that. So it's an ongoing thing that they're trying to find some sort of relief in the areas in California, Napa, and Northern California particularly, but it's hitting everywhere. It's not going to get any better, too. Uh, they said they need a safety net. Otherwise, we're all just going to stop doing this. And that's really the the general consensus in California and the wine industry is smoke issues beginning to bring the industry to its knees. And it's hurting everyone that is associated with it. Even $10 billion put into it still doesn't stop wildfires, though. So... You've got to look at that. It's going to help the winery stay open and help them stay in business, but it will not stop the wildfires. And that is an issue all by itself. Okay, so let me go on to something. Oh, yes. Executive order on promoting competition in the wine industry. Uh, this is... Uh, one of President Biden's, you know, fun things to do is all these executive orders. But this particular one, it states a fair, open, and competitive marketplace has long been a cornerstone of the American economy, while excessive market concentration threatens basic economic liberties, democratic accountability, and the welfare of workers, farmers, small businesses, startups, and consumers. Yeah, I know, it's confusing. Continue. The American promise of a broad and sustained prosperity depends on an open and competitive economy. For small businesses and farmers, it creates more choices among suppliers and major buyers. That is the executive order that he signed uh, in the American economy, concerning the American economy. He did that back in July 9th. And the order itself detailed plans on increased economic competition, but opening up opportunities for small business. Now, this was something he said he was going to do anyway, and this is something that the, the Biden-Harris administration said they were going to do. But nobody had any idea that they were going to have a complete section dedicated to alcohol. This is a surprise. Uh, it was a surprise for everyone, including the TTB. And the Trade and Tobacco Bureau had no idea this was coming. It says, much as the order can be taken as good news for the alcohol industry as a whole, but it has to take a deep look at some of the issues the industry has been battling for years. So to continue with the executive order, it states, to protect the vibrancy of the American markets for beer, wine, and spirits, and to improve market access for smaller, independent, and new operations, the Secretary of Treasury, in consultation with the Attorney General and the Chair of the FTC, not later than 120 days after the date of this order, which again was July the 9th, uh, so it's already approaching the 120 days. Well, six months is 120 days, so it's already approaching a halfway mark. Uh, 120 days of the date of this order shall submit a report to the chair of the White House Competition Council assessing the current market structure and conditions of competition, including an assessment of any threats to competition and barriers to new entrants. Okay, now, I interpret this as threats to competition. I 
interpret this as other countries. Uh, if they're looking at farmers, and this isn't just wine but or beer or spirits, but this is, you know, as, as farming here in Florida, we're always looking at other countries dumping fruits and vegetables in this country cheaper than we can do it here, which is odd, but it's it's done. I, I look at this as the fact that unfair competition, that might have an effect on some of the stuff that's shipped in. And, you know, conditions of competition. Those threats uh, they're saying here is including any discriminatory or anti-competitive practices. Uh, what they want is an even playing field for smaller producers, so... Uh, who might want to do the wholesale or retail sector. Right now, when you start using the three-tier system, and I've talked about this before, and I will you know, jump on it for a little bit here. When you start doing the uh, three-tier system, you've got your manufacturer, distributor, and your retail. The distributors, and there's like six big ones around the country that control most of it. The distributors will not take small wineries, not work with small distilleries or small breweries because there's no name recognition there and there's no money. Uh, they, As I was making wine at Florida State's winery, I would sell a bottle of wine for, say, $14.95, $15. Then if I used a distributor, which I did not because we had our distributor's license, but if I used an outside distributor, I would say, here, here's two cases, and they say, okay, we're going to put this in Publix. So they go and put it on Publix on the on the shelf, and Publix finds a little hole down at the bottom of their shelves to put Florida stage wine. And I say, I would like to see this sold for the same price I sell it here because I don't want people to walk in here, me say $15, and they say, well, I can go down to Publix and get it for 12 I mean, it's... It's going to kill me on that. So I said, I want to sell it at the same price. Well, people can't find it in Publix, and if they do see it, you know, it's on the bottom shelf. They're not going to pay $15 for something they're not familiar with. So it sits there for a while, and then finally Publix tells the distributor, we can't sell it. The distributor says, well, then lower the price until you do. And so Publix starts lowering the price. They end up selling it for, for $8 a bottle, and then I get my share from that after the distributor takes their share out and after public takes their share out and I might end up selling that bottle for or getting that bottle back to me for five four dollars a bottle well no you can't do this it, and, and this is what happens to any small business they cannot do the volume they cannot handle the the way that distributors say, well, discount that. This is what you're going to do with no regard to us. We say sell it for 15. They say, well, we're not going to sell it for 15. We're going to sell it for 12. No, no, no. You can't do that to us. So a lot of small wineries, breweries, distilleries do not use distributors, especially the big ones around the country, because of that general practice. This is one of the things I think that's being addressed here. You trying to put a level playing field, uh, trying to uh, list under the statements it's the inclusion of patterns and production, distribution, and retail that has drawn the most immediate attention from the wine industry. Uh, and that's, that's one of the things I think is being addressed. There's so much constellation in, in, in the past uh, and also some recent ones. St. Michelle was bought out by the private firm, private equity firm, Sycamore Partners. And then you also got Gallo Constellation, which is enormous, and they keep sucking up new ones. So basically they're trying to avoid monopolies. Uh, you know, Much of what's dictated in the order will affect producers less directly. More immediate impact will be seen on the wholesale distribution and retail tiers and what consolidation has done to that market, which is something that really needs to be addressed. And as as a small winery, as a small business, I really, you know, I, I wholeheartedly agree. 
It's difficult. They continue staying here. It's difficult for new or small producers to get their products out there unless they're self-distributing. And I did, and it, it worked. I mean, I, I never was in grocery stores, but I didn't want to be in grocery stores because, like I say, we'd end up being on the bottom shelf, hidden, and that's not a good thing. Excuse me. Uh, you know, it opens up the door to have um, more, more small businesses operate, you know, a little bit more in an even playing field. And it also includes regulations on bottle sizes, labeling, and permitting. This is all stuff that TTB is already takes care of, and they're constantly trying to make it more user friendly and they're trying to make it uh, easier to go through all this. And they have. TTB has done an excellent job over the years, really, from the when I first opened up the winery in 2001 to when we ended up closing it down in 2016. Uh, the difference of trying to get a label approved or getting anything done through the TTB was night and day from, from early 2000s to when we closed. They went online. They approved stuff online. You didn't have to send it in, submit it, and wait You know, anywhere from uh, three to six, seven weeks to get it approved back to you and all that. And when you're trying to open a business and you want to make a label, you send it into them, and then you wait and wait and wait. Well, by this time, everything else is processing or progressing, and they're not taking care of it. Well, with the online, is so much faster. You show them what you're going to do. They say, okay, that's good, and then you can do it. You don't have that long delay. So TTB has improved, and this is given an opportunity for TTB to improve even more. Uh, streamlining. Uh, if you will, the process of doing everything and making it easier and more efficient to get the products done and get it on market. Second order of business. Now, this, again, we're talking the executive order here. This is still part of it. Quote, to follow up on the foregoing assessment, the Treasury, uh, Secretary of the Treasury, through the Administrator of the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, shall no later than 240 days after the date of this order, consider, point, initiating a rulemaking to update the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau's trade practice regulations, point, rescinding or revising any regulations of the beer, wine, and spirits industries that may unnecessarily inhibit competition, and, point, reducing any barriers that impede market access for smaller and independent brewers, winemakers, and distilleries. Okay, now, that's it, end quote. Uh, Kaiser, Kaiser uh, is the, uh, let me go back and find what his qualifications are on here. Uh Michael Kaiser is Vice President of Wine America. Okay, so he's the one that uh, is quoting, uh, helping us through this, actually. He says that these points basically telling the TTB to do things they've already been doing. And so most of that stuff's not anything new. But there's a bit of vague language here in what is inhibits competition what constitutes inhibiting competition? Don't know. Could it be the fact that I can't go into a store? Could it be a fact that the big big boys take off shelf space and let me have it? I don't know. It's just, you know, it is very, very vague there. It inhibits competition. Uh, and the question arises, does it inhibit competition that you're only allowed to ship to certain states. Whoa, boy. Now, see, there's something else that could really, really make a difference. Uh, you know, we're not allowed to ship to so many states and all that. So is the federal government looking to supersede shipping laws and create a federal shipping license so everybody can just get one license and ship everywhere around the country? And, oh, let me tell you how much that would upset the 
distributors. Oh, my guys, because they're the ones that actually get all this stuff and ship it. And, and you know, you let it, any little winery ship anywhere they want, and these distributors are going to be majorly upset. And then it also creates a problem of taxes and everything else. So... To continue, if the federal government gets involved in alcohol distribution, what does that do in the terms of the 21st Amendment? And there you go. The 21st Amendment is the repelling of the prohibition, which threw everything back to the states to take care of alcohol. And so if the federal government gets into it, then there's going to be all sorts of lawsuits saying, wait a minute, you can't do that. That's unconstitutional. And there's only so much you can do in relation to the 21st Amendment. So the whole point of the order is whatever helps the smaller producer get their product out there, and that's what they want to look at. And that's what you should take away from this, is the fact that it just wants to help the small producer. Will it? I don't know. Uh, with the first report deadline for 120 days from the order, the second being 240 days. 120 days. I said that was six months. That's not six months. Uh, that's only four months. Why was I thinking? Four months. Uh, and then the second one, uh, 240 days falling, so there you're eight months. Any changes will not be in effect until probably 2023 because when you're looking at eight months from now, you're in the middle of 2022 and nothing becomes effective immediately after they play with and kick it around. So any changes won't happen until 2023. So that's what we're setting at right now. The executive order signed on back on July 19th uh, is or July 9th rather is uh, going to create differences. I don't know if we'll see any of those differences or not, but they are definitely going to create differences. And those in the industry will notice it a lot faster than any of you out there will. Let's hope it does result in more of our wines that we like and enjoy easier to access and maybe even a little bit cheaper. Don't know. Speaking of fires and helping the small businesses, let's go back to the insurance issue of <laughs> of fires and what it's costing for fire insurance. Uh, annual premium to insure small vineyards uh, like uh, a vineyard and winery like in Placer, uh, Placerville, which is in El Dorado County, which is on the uh, foothills has risen over the last three years. It was seven thousand dollars per year. Then it went to eight thousand five hundred. Now it's up to ten thousand. And Matt Newman, the owner of Newfound Wines, says he probably won't even be able to continue this. He'll just have to go without insurance. Uh, if a fire tore through his building, destroyed everything, he said it would be a deal breaker. He'd have to close down because he can't afford that insurance. Many ventures in the state's $40 billion wine industry are unable to protect themselves from fires in many ways because of the cost of insurance. They are doing what they can. Uh, the vineyard workers are a lot of times tasked with cutting down trees and clearing out areas around the buildings and everything. You don't pull up to a nice, pretty tree-shaded winery anymore because you don't want it there. It could catch on fire and burn down your winery. So they're having them clean it out around it. Uh, some ventures report increases to their premiums of 300% or more. There's, quote, one small winery in St. Helena, they said that the price rose from $12,700 a year to $54,000 a year. One large winery in Ukiah said it went from $38,000 a year to $290 a year. And then another big one in Calistoga, 
from $200,000 a year to $800,000 a year. Uh, staggering, staggering cost for the for insurance, for fire insurance. This is fire insurance, too. I don't know if this includes all insurance, but this this is fire insurance. A lot of times fire insurance is different. Um, it's just it's staggering. They've, there have been fires every year for the last five years, and a lot of them have affected uh, different areas. 2017, it was just north of Napa. Uh, around Yontville and stuff like that. 2019, it was on up in Sonoma County, around Hillsburg. And then in 2020, uh, a lot of it was around St. Helena and uh, Calistoga, between those two and the hills and all that. Uh, not... <coughs> oh, excuse me. Not any reports of wildfires that were affected wineries in 2018. But in 2017 and 19 and 2020, a lot of them. And so the ventures, lucky enough, still have fire insurance policies. Not only are facing increased premiums, but also a higher deductible. Uh, they said uh, previously insurance premium was uh, $200,000 of this uh uh, Schranzburg Vineyards in Calistoga. Previ previous insurance policy was $200,000 a year with a $25,000 deductible. Now it's $800,000 a year with a $500,000 deductible. Huh? I mean, it's ridiculous. I, you know, the, the $500,000 deductible out of an $800,000 policy is just like, if you're spending that much, why get the insurance? But I suppose you have to because, you know, the costs are so outrageous. Uh, uh, if any of them lose their wineries without insurance, then they're gone. They're out of business. That's, uh, you know, and that's what they all say. They, they can't keep this up. They can't do this with the insurance. And they're hoping that the $10 billion, yes, $10 billion relief package from the government is going to help alleviate some of these insurance premiums because it is staggering for the wineries. And what's really hurt, too, was the fact that they were closed down during 2020 because of the pandemic, and it hasn't uh, hasn't gotten any relief. Uh, they, they do have, yes, they do have uh, group insurance policies and stuff like that, but it doesn't always help. Uh, one winery was quoted at $54,000 a year, and that was up from 12700 up to 54000 He said he dropped his insurance. He just he couldn't do it. It was just uh, too much money to pay for the fire insurance. So... Other things that they're doing, and they're hoping that it will alleviate it. But the way the fires are in California, oh my gosh, it, it's just scary what's happening with all the fires down there and all that. So, are out there. Um, a lot of them are doing without a 2020 vintage, and hopefully, be able to recover from the 2021. Um, Vintage. If not, they're looking at maybe closing. So tough, tough times, tough things to, that they have to put up with and do there. Okay, why aren't you backing up here, computer? You're supposed to back up when I click this button. Hmm. Well, for some reason, it decided not to. Okay, something else here I wanted to talk about a little bit. Cryptocurrency. You all familiar with cryptocurrency? Uh, I think everybody is now. Uh, Bitcoin is probably the most common cryptocurrency that everyone is familiar with, but uh, there's others out there. It's not just Bitcoin. It's, uh, you know, different ones. But cryptocurrency is something that some wineries are looking at doing. They're looking at starting to accept cryptocurrency. Uh, it's, cryptocurrency is a virtual or digital currency. 
It uh, uses blockchain technology, look it up, to record transactions and verify the ownership. Uh, so you can you can get cryptocurrency. Now, it's very volatile. The prices can be for one one uh, a Bitcoin prices, you can buy it for, say, $50 a day, and tomorrow it might be $300 for that same thing or more, or it might even drop down to $10. Or, I mean, it's very, very volatile. And so those who get cryptocurrency and use cryptocurrency do so uh, just like a, another another bank that they do everything in because it jumps up and down so much. And this is one of the problems that the wineries say that they really have to look at. Uh, the How volatile the market is. They say wine industry is not cash rich. It's really cash poor. And they say if something like Bitcoin decides to tank, they wouldn't have the cash they need to do uh, a bottling uh, or anything. They because they are taking it and other businesses are not taking it. So it's not like it's available to use it for everyone. So that being said, looking at wineries are looking at accepting uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, others, corporations like Microsoft have already starting to take it. Starbucks uh, takes cryptocurrency over stock and Whole Foods. They all do cryptocurrency uh, many estates only take reservations uh, to show you how the wine industry is fighting this though is simply because they're saying the wine industry is notoriously resistant to technology this is a lot of the wineries uh, in California around the uh, country only take reservations by phone and some of them don't even have a website or a uh, any way to contact them through computer. You have to pick up the phone and call them. And yeah, yeah, okay, if if they're that way, that's good. I mean, it doesn't make them unique. It doesn't make them uh, special. It's just a pain for people, I think, if they don't have all that stuff and don't jump into the technology bandwagon and Cryptocurrency is the far edge of this technology bandwagon, so most are uh, resistant to it. Uh, most of cryptocurrency investors tend to hold on to their investments and ride out the uh, waves up and down. They don't really pull it out and do it for much, too many things. I did just read something. I am located down here in Florida, outside of Tampa. Excuse me. And if you're a sports fan, you know that uh, Brady, Tom Brady, is the quarterback for the Buccaneers now. And newspaper article today, yesterday, Tom Brady was interviewed as saying that he would accept cryptocurrency, would accept Bitcoin as part of his his pay. And... He said that there are quite a few other sports figures that would be willing to accept Bitcoin as their pay, which I thought was interesting. Uh, hmm. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of things you can think about and all that, but it's it's coming into other aspects of the country. It's not just for the people who want to be a little bit different and all that. They're, they're looking at others. So... Uh, adding volume, here's a retired NBA star, Yo Ming, and uh, you may have heard him. He, I don't know what team he played for, but uh, he he was an NBA star. And he said that uh, the 2016 Cabernet Sauvignon called the Chop, alongside some limited edition uh, non-fungible token or nft and it says an nft is a unique digital asset like a piece of art or a video that cannot be replicated and can be sold so 
an NFT is like a bottle of wine also. Cannot be replicated, but you can sell it. And he said uh, that one of his number 11 wine, which was his number when he played in the NBA, uh, that was uh, his number throughout his career. And so he's got one called NBA, or one called 11. And he said that uh, NFTs are akin to collectible trading cards, but in digital form. Uh, so give you an idea of that. So if you see NFT out there, that's that's what what you're referring to. Um, so, and you know, it, it's working for them. Uh, they launched the first NFT accompanying auction and saw huge returns. Uh, 16 single bottle lots from the uh, 2019 Domaine de Comte Ligor Bellar. Each bottle was paired with an NFT. The wine sold for $61,752, which was 332% above the low average or the low estimate. So people are spending the cryptocurrency online the people the people are out there and the ones who do it are spending on the wine uh if you're not familiar with cryptocurrency it's it's interesting stuff i mean it's it's all online and all taken care of there it's very very volatile there's no real bank or anything and so it's uh, uh, well the big obstacle for cryptocurrency is the wine world is sustainability. Okay, wine is an agricultural product, and winemakers and consumers have prioritized the preservation of natural resources. Cryptocurrency mining, or the process of maintaining the blockchain ledger and putting more coins into circulation, sometimes requires large, sophisticated processors that use a massive amount of energy. In May, Tesla CEO Elon Musk pulled the plug on his company's acceptance of Bitcoin due to its environmental impact. At the end of the day, it's probably 10 times the amount of energy used to create a dollar bill, he said, and that's not good. So, cryptocurrency. You may be seeing more and more of that accepted at wineries. Doesn't mean you have to do it. Very volatile. Uh, I, I know that for a fact. I I've never bought cryptocurrency. I don't own any, but I've looked into it, and, and there's really no way to follow it either. I mean, it's not like the paper. You can't pick up the newspaper or go online and check your stock and find out where it is. It just it's it jumps up and down and all that. So, but wineries are starting to do it some of them anyway they're starting to look at doing that and seeing how that goes for them uh okay let's see what do we got here uh let's see where is that that's what i want Well, I guess let me go back and see if anybody's sitting around. No, nobody's sitting around there. Always like to check the page. Okay, the 23rd. Uh, that's okay. Sorry about this. There we go. This should. Uh, yep. Here we go. Okay. Now. Uh, The Wine Institute is going yay for the passage of the critical wildfire drought relief package. Uh, it's so far, like I said earlier, it's passed the House, but it's got to get past the Senate, and who knows what's going to happen there. Uh, as it stands right now, it doesn't look like it will, but who knows? I mean, 
who knows what those politicians think. Uh, in California alone, more than 775,000 people are employed in wine-related businesses uh, with more than $34 billion in annual wages, generating $114 billion in economic activity, including more than $15 billion in local, state, and federal taxes. Well, that alone should make everybody stand up and take notice in the government, because if it's creating $15 billion in taxes overall, that's what they live for, is that money. Uh, so, uh, the uh, bill... House Resolution Bill 5305 includes $10 billion in aid for agricultural producers, including California wine growers, for crop losses from natural disasters. Uh, with Senate approval and the President signing it, the funds will be available by the end of 2023, which is a ways off, but that's what they're looking at, and that's what they're hoping is going to happen. So we don't know, but that is there, and that's a possibility. So, let's see, North Dakota. North Dakota, we don't talk about them much in the wine industry, but they are a part of the wine industry. And they are having a problem with a drought. Otis Winery in North Dakota had to cancel its annual grape harvest for the first time in nearly 15 years because of the drought. Uh, Point of View Winery has been open for 20 years and has been putting on the grape harvest for 15 this year, they produce 120 pounds of grapes compared to 2,500 to 5,000 pounds annually. Only 120 pounds compared to those. They also were smaller. Instead of making wine, owners sold them to the farmer's market. Wine grapes to the farmer's market? Normally, they're not good eating grapes. I don't know why they did that. But they said they're still making their other wines using products from local farmers and other producers, which I'm sure there's fruit wines and stuff in there, it said that they might, on average, sell anywhere from 9 to 12 varieties, and that grapevine is just one of them. Uh, so the winery was not the only place to experience the lower harvest, and North Central Research Extension Center is a vineyard, and several things led to low yields there. Clusters were smaller, and they, uh, and then we had the drought, which immediately meant the berries were going to be smaller, and the plants had to struggle, and ended up about 60% of the normal volume. Wow. Uh, the nationally growing wild grapes found there uh, are the Vitus riparia, and it's too high in sugar and acid to make wine. So they experiment with other stuff. Um, so if they get plants out there that are reliable and make good wine, there's going to be more interest in the program. But with droughts coming like this and with climate change causing these droughts, uh, then it's going to be harder to start making different wines. Uh, they are trying to save the vines. Uh, bring on rain. At least this fall, it should bring lots of snow and spring rain. And they hope that that's going to happen. But, you know, let's face it, this is what they're hoping will happen in the western part of the country even more, especially Utah and stuff like that. They're hoping this snows will fill up the mountains and fill up the passages and all that stuff. And it hasn't been doing it. So let's, let's hope for rain. I'll tell you what, we can give them some of our California rain here, and our California, some of our Florida rain here, and send it out to California and all those places out west. So we've had ourselves our fair share of it here over the last, you know, couple, three months. It's been unbelievable how much we've had. All right. Uh, and let's see what else. I'm trying to figure out. Oh, let's. Oh, it's seven fifty-nine. Let's end it talking about the volcano. Uh, you all heard about the volcano that's happening in the uh, <clears throat> the uh, uh, oh well, yeah, what what's the Canary Islands? Can't think of the name Canary. The volcano in the Canary Islands. Uh, the uh, 
what's it called? La Palma volcano. Uh, they uh, exploded something like uh, oh, three or four days ago, and it has been continuously exploding since then. Some of the flames and stuff from the volcano has gone as high as three miles into the sky. And it's like, oh my gosh, three miles. I know. I, that's what I thought when I heard that too, three miles. And they have been getting a tremendous amount of lava and ash flow. Lava settled on uh, all over the country. I mean, the, it's an island that's settled all over the island. And it is also covering everything with it. There has been lava flows that are heading toward a village, and they have taken all the people out of the village. What they say, um, 3,000? 3,000 people out of the village, two or 3,000. There is a 40-foot, 40-foot wall of lava coming toward the village. Basically, the village is gone forever and ever. It's going to be covered up with lava. It's not, you know, you're never going to see it again. So it is bad, but another thing it's doing is it's throwing all this lava in the air, or lava, all this um, ash in the air, and it is destroying vineyards. There's uh, close to 900 hectares, uh, hectares of vineyards on the island, and it is covering everything up uh, with uh, lava and ash and everything else, which means that uh, only, well, they're saying that uh, the eruption after a heat wave in mid-August that destroyed 80 or 90% of the Malabesia grapes, and this is the eruption that's continued. Um, it erupted on Tuesday, which was the 21st, for the 51st time this year, but uh, said that uh, this was uh, getting, this is one of the biggest ones here, and it's continuing to uh, destroy everything. Uh, it's covering up the uh, sun, and it's uh, protecting them. Uh, the grapes from sunburn because it's been so hot there, but it's also covering them up with a lot of uh, ash, and that's weighting down some of the grapevines and destroying the grapevines. So it is not good, not good for that whole area there. And the, the volcano itself is horrible. I don't know if you've seen reports on it, but it, it's just absolutely horrible. It's a uh, sending lava flow all over the place and ash all over the place and destroying vineyards, which, considering we're all about wine, this is one of the things that we are concerned about. You know, the thing is, we don't we don't have the opportunity to try some of these. We, you know, Canary Island vineyards, Canary Island wine. It's not something that you go down the store and say, oh, I think I'll try Canary Island wine today after I try my, you know, Ethiopian wine. It, it doesn't happen, which is really, really sad because I would love to be able to try some of these other country wines around. So I don't know. They they don't make enough to go around. Just like a lot of the states in the United States don't make enough wine to be shipped out of the state. It's all consumed within their state mostly, and you get very few wines that you actually find outside of the state. But enough for my editorializing. I think it's time to end the show tonight. It is four minutes after eight o'clock our time. Looks like we might have a guest next week, so tune in. I or check the uh, show description. That's really the best thing to do. If you check the show description, you can see if we do have a guest. And if we do have a guest, we'll have it posted. And if not, then. It'll be soon after that. But I do believe we will have a guest next week. Let me see if I can find it quickly here and let you know who it might be. Uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, let me expand this so I can read it. 
we're looking at having uh, Greg Brewer on. Is that right? Uh, no, Mike. Let's see. Mike is his name. What's his last name? I can't see it on this this email. I'm trying to read through this email quickly here so I can see it and I can't see it. But yeah, Mike is his name. Mike uh is uh runs the drinking and knowing things newsletter. Says he has thousands of subscribers and just released a book by the same name. Uh he uh, is also currently a candidate to become the 45th American to qualify as a master of wine. He started the wine industry in the kingdom of Bhutan in the Himalayas. Maybe that's why we were, were so popular there. Speaker and author and also is a professor at the University of California, Irvine, and owns the award-winning SoCal Rum Company. So... Uh, Mike, Mike, what is your last name, Mike? I'm not getting J or MJ. M MJ is what he goes by. I don't know. Well, next week will be our guest. We'll have his name figured out by then. And uh, so tune in. If you know anyone who wants to be a guest, you know how to get a hold of us. All about wine 101 at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, we do appreciate it. And we will look forward to seeing you next week. And be safe out there and have a wonderful week. There's no, uh, let's see, next week's the first? No, not yet. Next week's the 30th. So we'll be back on September 30th, end of the month. That'll be Halloween. No, Halloween's October. Jeez, I can't think, John. Uh, I think Thursday, I immediately got all excited. Uh, September the 30th next week. And so we'll see you next week and have uh, a wonderful week. Be safe and enjoy lots of wine. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.